So here's what's going to happen. I don't know if many of you have listened to James Knox's sermons. And often on a Sunday night, he just gives a bunch of news and a bunch of information, and then he gets to his sermon. I tried every which way to fit the stuff that I'm going to tell you into my sermon, but I was going to have to wrest the scriptures from their context to be able to do that. So what I want to do is I just want to give you some information at the beginning of the service, and then we're going to dive into Psalm 119 and finish that section, and we'll actually preach what it says rather than what I'm trying to make it say. Does that sound like a good plan? So let's, we'll, we'll try to do that. Why don't we have a word of prayer, and we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for Grace Baptist Church and these faithful people. Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy to us, and boy, do we need both of those. So Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word Thank you for the opportunity to come together as a church family and discuss what's going on in the country. So, Father, I pray that you will help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I want to encourage you. We talked a little bit about some of this in the Sunday school hour, so this will be a little bit of overlap. I want you to um, not be too concerned about the election. I do believe that, that President Trump is going to win. Um, I think that with what they're going to do in Pennsylvania, that so I don't know how many of you saw it, but Justice uh, Samuel Alito from the Supreme Court, he sent an order to Pennsylvania that they have to segregate all of the votes that came in after 8 o'clock on Election Day. They cannot count those with the other votes. Now, here's the problem. What they were doing was they were taking the envelopes and throwing them away. So now I don't know how they can certify that election. So I'm curious to see what happens. But all of those votes were ordered to be segregated, and anything that came in after 8 o'clock is unconstitutional. Because their state legislature, you can look it up, it's Act 77 from 2019, they said that in in the legislature, they said that uh, all of the votes had to be in by 8 o'clock on Election Day. Whether they're mail-in votes, absentee ballots, or in-person votes, all of those had to be into the election location by 8 o'clock. So anything that came in after 8 o'clock, all of those truckloads and plane loads of ballots that were delivered to Philadelphia, none of those can count. None of them can, which means that President Trump won there. It also means that he won in Georgia because of all of those late votes that came in in Atlanta. I, I got a meme from James Knox right before church, and it's uh, Joe Biden at Arlington waving. Thanks for the votes. Um, so they're going to try to going to try to get rid of a lot of those types of things. So just be in prayer. Be in prayer for the attorneys. I think that the president has has gotten some good attorneys, and uh, we just need to be in prayer for it. And then if so, if if President Trump is reelected, that doesn't mean our problems are over. We want to make sure that uh, uh, Lawrence Vance um, sent me an email. And uh, I had mentioned last week that President Trump has not started any new wars. And he said that's true, but he has continued a lot of the military action that some of the others have done. And so we just need to pray that God will give him the wisdom to bring our young men home. Um, We are oil independent. We just don't need to be fighting in some of these places. And the farther that we as a country can get away from war, the better we are. We need to be so strong that if anyone attacks us, that we go to war with them in a defensive manner 
and, and the destruction is so much that they don't want to fight us again. But the, these little incursions that we like to do, these petty despots in the CIA, these petty deep state uh, despots like John Bolton and others that have never seen a war they didn't like. John McCain, you know, we saw that his wife and daughter both supported uh, Biden. Why? There wasn't a dime's worth of difference between John McCain and Joe Biden. They were the same person. Um, you, what you all need to look into is, how many of you remember the, uh, the attack in Benghazi? You all remember that? You need to go back about six months sooner and see uh, uh, John McCain walking into a house with the men who used the weapons to attack our embassy. John McCain gave them the weapons. And remember, never just believe anything I say. Go and check it out. I've seen the actual video of him walking into the house with those terrorists. He provided them the weapons. Why? They want continual and perpetual war. Didn't President Eisenhower warn us about the military-industrial complex? It is there. Why do these generals go to work for these uh, defense contractors? And it's, it's a mess. So be aware of that. And any, we need to pray for our president that we can become less aggressive militarily and that we spend our money here in our country. All right. Now, I know that's a discussion I can have. If you have been around Republican politics for the last 40 years, that might sound strange to you. But just read a little after Ron Paul. Read a little bit after Rand Paul and see the arguments that they're making. And their, their arguments on this are fantastic. And I really recommend that you read Lawrence Vance's book, Christianity and War. We have, them in, have it in our bookstore. And it'll really help you to understand... what. The propaganda behind all of this is not something that Christians ought to be behind. So we want to pray for the president. So there are three basic areas that I want to talk to you about. The first was that. The second is um, the tech tyranny that is coming to the United States. So we know that when the two witnesses in Revelation are killed, that they lie there for three days, and the whole world watches them, and the whole world sees this. And so that, that's just an example of how the, the tech establishment will control the message during the tribulation period. There's no doubt. And in this election, we have seen more than at any time in our history how they want to control things. One of the things that we need to recognize, though, is that Facebook already has, I can't remember the number, 15, I don't remember, um, computer experts from China training the Facebook people on how to use social control with social media. So there's a great book, it's called 2084 by John Lennox. I read some stuff from it this morning. I want to read a section to you from it tonight. It's called Surveillance Communism. And so this book is on artificial intelligence. And so if you know, John Lennox is an Oxford mathematician. He's a tremendous apologist defending the Christian faith. But this book is, I, I really recommend that you read it. He says, uh, just as one downside of information harvesting is surveillance capitalism, another might be reasonably called surveillance communism. So surveillance capitalism that is when, have you ever been talking about something and all of a sudden an ad for that comes up on your phone? Is that the creepiest thing in the world? 
That is surveillance capitalism, okay? So now surveillance communism. In March 2018, the Future of Humanity Institute at the University of Oxford published a report on the development of AI in China where it said $197 billion was spent on domestic security in 2017 and where they expect to install more than 400 million CCTV cameras by 2020. 400 million cameras. Some of what George Orwell envisioned, envisaged for 1984 is already with us. So what it will be like by 2084 is anybody's guess. Although the underlying trend is clear. China is already using AI in order to achieve social control. They are gradually rolling out a social credit system in order to check on the reliability and trustworthiness of citizens. How many of you have heard of the social credit system? And that is quickly coming to us, and we find it already by those who are allowed to post on YouTube, by those who are allowed to post on Facebook, by those who are allowed to uh, give information out on Twitter. All of the Hunter Biden information that has been suppressed and censored by big tech as if it were fake. They're calling it fake. The Bidens didn't even say it was fake. And yet most people don't know what was on those hard drives. That's something that is controlled by the media. So here's how the social credit system works. Um, the system consists of starting each citizen with the award of 300 social credit points that can be added to by good, i.e. government-approved behavior, like using public transport, keeping fit, reporting on someone you have seen with large amounts of foreign currency. As your points accumulate, you are granted more and more perks, access to a wider range of jobs, mortgage opportunities, school placements for children, goods, travel possibilities, etc. Can you see how that would work in the United States? If you want your kids to get into a good school, they're going to have to have a good credit score, social credit score. How many of you, how many of you doubt that's coming to the United States? Very interesting. If you, have in, if you behave in ways thought antisocial, like associating with people regarded unsafe by the government, Coming into conflict with the police or overindulging in alcohol, you will lose points, and that will eventually result in penalties, limited access to, to the job and housing market, restrictions on travel, or even on the range of restaurants you can visit, etc. You might even end up being denounced as a discredited person on a public television screen as you walk past it. So those, those 400 million cameras they're installing, they're using advanced AI and so when you walk into a store, they might flash this as an unauthorized person. And this is creepy stuff. And this is not future. This is what they're putting in place in China right now. These are the people that Facebook is working with. If you don't believe me, check it out. They are working with China to accomplish this because they have the software. Facebook has the software and they want to open that market. The Times, this is the London Times, reported that some Chinese companies are fitting their employees with headgear that conceals technology that can read the wearer's brainwaves and send the data to computers that in turn use AI to check for emotions such as depression, anxiety, or anger. Six months later, we learned that China plans to implement the social credit program for all of the almost 22 million citizens of Beijing. 
The Telegraph reported that the Chinese government has stated that the point system will improve the city's business environment by preventing people with low integrity from accessing the city's public services and travel network. People with a low credit score could also find it difficult to start a business or find work. Channel News Asia reported in March that 9 million people had already been blocked from buying tickets for domestic flights and 3 million from obtaining business class train tickets. If your social credit score isn't right, you can't get on an airplane. You can't get on a train. That's what's going on in China. And understand, that's what's coming to the United States. How could it happen here? We have freedom. How's that working out for freedom of speech? Right? They're not, they're not, this is where we have to make sure, so, okay, so we hold the Senate. What's the Senate going to do about this? The problem is Facebook and Google give a lot of money to Republican senators. I don't want you to think they're the good guy. Mike, good guys. Mike Lee, the supposed libertarian senator from Utah, he won't do anything about this. Very important that we stand up. How many of you think that our senators are going to do something about it? No. Um, so that gives you an idea of what's going on there. Uh, I, I want to read for you something from this book, Live Not by Lies. And thank you for your patience. I don't know how else to share this information with you than to take a, a minute like this to accomplish it. But he's talking about the therapeutic as the postmodern mode of existence. So you have hard totalitarianism. That's what the Soviet Union had. All right? We're under what he calls soft totalitarianism. Soft totalitarianism exploits decadent modern man's preference for personal pleasure over principles, including political liberties. The public will support or at least not oppose the coming soft totalitarianism, not because it fears the imposition of cruel punishments, but because it will be more or less satisfied by hedonistic comforts. 1984 is not the novel that previews what's coming. It's rather Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Does that sound like what we heard this morning? Two different authors realizing the same thing. It's coming. The contemporary social critic James Poulos calls this the pink, the pink police state, an informal arrangement in which people will surrender political rights in exchange for guarantees of personal pleasure. In his landmark uh, 1966 book, The Triumph of the Therapeutic, Reef said, the death of God in the West, so this is 1966, the death of God in the West had given birth to a new civilization devoted to liberating the individual to seek his own pleasures and to managing emergent anxieties. Religious man who lived according to belief in transcendent principles that ordered human life around communal purposes had given way to psychological man who believed that there was no transcendent order and that life's purpose was to find one's own way exper uh, experimentally. So we used to live by propositions. Now we live by, well, I'm going to try this. Let's see how it works out. Let's, let's live together before we're married. Y'all follow what I'm talking about? That's the direction that, that Christianity went. This was a revolution even more radical than that of 19, the 1917 Bolshevik event. So that's what brought communism to Russia. For the first time, humankind was seeking to create a civilization based on the negation of any binding transcendent order. Later on, he says, if there is no sacred order, 
Then the original promise of the serpent in the Garden of Eden, you shall be as gods, is the foundational principle of the new culture. Reef saw, however, that you could not have culture without cult, culture, C-U-L-T, without cult. That is, without shared belief in and submission to a sacred order. What you get is an anti-culture. An anti-culture is inherently unstable, said Reef, but he doubted that people brought up in this social order would ever be willing to return to the old ways. Even church leaders, he wrote, were lying to themselves about the ability of the institutions they led to resist the therapeutic. Reef foresaw the future of religion as devotion, listen, Reef foresaw the future of religion as devolution into watery spirituality which could accommodate anything. Reef lived long enough to see his 1966 prediction come true. Understand, there are mainstream evangelicals affirming critical race theory. Critical race theory treats people as groups as opposed to individuals. How many of you know that it doesn't matter what your race is? Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He made of all men one blood. This, by being divided into groups and races, we cannot evangelize effectively. It stops it. So what he says is, Reef lived long enough to see his 1966 prediction come true. In 2005, the sociologists of religion, Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton, coined the phrase moralistic therapeutic deism. So you moralize. Therapeutic is it's all about helping you. Deism, remember, is the teaching that God created the world and then stepped back from it. He doesn't get involved in his creation. So what they're saying is modern Christianity is moralistic therapeutic deism. We're here to help you. God doesn't really care what you do. How many of you know that God cares what you do? Yeah, he has an opinion. This is such a great statement. Listen to this. They use that moralistic therapeutic deism to describe the decadent form of Christianity and all faiths, in fact, that had taken, or, uh, taken in contemporary America. It consisted of the general belief that God exists and wants nothing more from us than to be nice and to be happy. God wants us to be nice and he wants us to be happy. How many of you, that resonates with you that that's true? That's what's going on in Christianity. No, it's not here. Praise God. It's not here. But we need to know why our friends on Facebook or our family members, they think that we're so mean. Because they're involved in therapeutic Christianity as opposed to propositional Christianity. In therapeutic culture, which has everywhere triumphed, the great sin is to stand in the way of the freedom of others to find happiness as they wish. This goes hand in hand with the sexual revolution, which along with ethnic and gender identity politics, replaced the failed economic class struggle as the utopian focus of the post-radical 1960s left. These cultural revolutionaries found an ally in advanced capitalism, which teaches that nothing should exist outside of the market mechanism and its sorting of value according to human desires. So if the market wants it, it's okay. That's wrong too. It doesn't matter if everybody wants to pay for smut. We don't endorse that. Are, are you all with me? We don't take a vote on whether or not we're going to stand on biblical truth here at Grace Baptist Church. So he goes on, the Cold War and the fallout from cultural conflicts of the 60s and 70s 
drove many white conservative Christians to identify with the Republican Party, and free market economics is consonant with Christian morality. Relativism clad in free market dogma aided the absorption of the therapeutic ethos by the religious right. So think about um, what uh, President Bush called it, compassionate conservatism. What is compassionate conservatism? The welfare state. That's what it is. You see, that's the therapeutic as opposed to propositional. You work, you don't abuse substances, you pay your bills, and your life is going to be good. See, what we need to tell people is there's this thing. You know, people talk about white privilege. No, there's this thing that's called marriage privilege. If you wait until you get married to have children, you won't be in poverty. That's what all the numbers say. It doesn't matter what race you are, red and yellow or black or white. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So it goes on. Um, Christian resistance... Uh, let me let me uh, let me back up. After all, if true freedom is defined as freedom of choice as opposed to the classical concept of choosing virtue, then the door is wide open to reforming religion along therapeutic lines centered around subjective experience. Remember our four authorities. Charismatic Christianity is the word of God and experience, right? And that's what this is talking about. This is why so many conservative Christians did not see and still cannot explain the ongoing victories of transgenderism in the culture war. The transgender phenomenon, which requires affirming psychology over biological reality, is a logical culmination of a process that started centuries earlier. Christian resistance on a large scale to the anti-culture has been fruitless and is likely to be for the foreseeable future. Why? Because the spirit of the therapeutic has conquered the churches as well. Even those populated by Christians who identify as conservative, relatively few contemporary Christians are prepared to suffer for the faith because the therapeutic society that has formed them denies the purpose of suffering in the first place. The idea of bearing pain for the sake of truth seems ridiculous. Isn't that good? Isn't that just interesting? So we have to remember that we live in a therapeutic society and what the answer to the therapeutic is the propositional. And the propositional is we need Jesus. We need the truth. There is such a thing as right and wrong. There is such a thing as good and evil. There is such a thing as thus saith the Lord. And that's the job of the believer to proclaim those things. Now, let's dive into the text. And I think you can see how this really does flow into where we've been. So go back to Psalm 119. Appreciate you all staying plugged in with that. I know it's not the easiest thing in the world to listen to someone read something like that. <clears throat> Did you see me being therapeutic right there? <laughs> Look at Psalm 119. So we made it through verse 78. Let the proud be ashamed, for they dealt perversely with me without a cause. Uh, but I will meditate in thy precepts. So here are the, our verses for tonight. Let those that fear thee turn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. So this is my place in society part two. So there are two verses that we're going to deal with tonight, verses uh, 79 and 80. 
So the first thing I want us to look at is my place. My place is with those who know God's testimonies. My place is with those who know God's testimonies. Do you see that in verse 79? Let those that fear thee turn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies. I want to be winsome, as we said this morning, to those that love God, but more than that, to those that love God's testimonies. Uh, see, there are there, these are the people who know God and love Him. These are the people who know God and love Him. David has described, so this is from Spurgeon, David has two descriptions for the saints. They are God-fearing and God-knowing. See, God-fearing and God-knowing. It's interesting, there are two kinds of people. We neither care about devout dunces nor intellectual icebergs. There are people that are really spiritual but know nothing. How many of you know people that are like that? Oh, I just love Jesus. I just love Jesus. And I, and, and I love gay people. And, and I, like the lady that I flew, the, the head of uh, uh, discipline at Wright State, and I flew on the plane next to her, and so we started talking. And um, <clears throat> she, she says she's a Christian, but she, she has a, a gay couple that she takes her kids to dinner with because she thinks that's such a beautiful thing and she wants them to know them. And I just told her, I said, well, you might have a form of Christianity, but the Jesus you're worshiping is not the Jesus of the Bible. See, you see the difference? This is a spiritual dunce. The flip side are those who, they have their propositions, but they never tell anybody. They don't, they don't love people enough to let them know that there is a Savior and that they need to know that Savior. You see, we can have all kinds of knowledge, but if there's no heart behind it, that's the whole heartbeat behind our Psalm 119 series. I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. Love for God's word will give us love for God's people. And not only will it give us love for God's people, it'll give us love for the entire world as God loved the world. We don't love the sin of the world. We love the people of the world. We hate their sin and we want them to become informed about what they need. We have that. What is that? Those are the precepts. Those are the things that we must tell people. So my prayer, please give me godly friendships. Godly friendships. So let me ask you a question. So notice what it says here. Let those that fear thee turn unto me and those that have known thy testimonies. What are thy testimonies? What has God done in your life? When you get together with your brothers in Christ, do you talk about what God's doing in your life? What God is, how God is speaking to you? Or is it always something superficial? I want people that love God's testimonies around me. What's God doing in your life? Let's be honest, how many of you, God has done something in your family, in your life, in the last couple of months? Have you talked with people about that? We need, to, we need that encouragement. We have to. And not only the testimony of what God's doing in your life, but you love the testimonies that God gives in the Bible about what happens when you obey Him, what happens when you disobey Him. Those testimonies are so practical. So my prayer, please give me godly Friendship. So my place is with those who know God's testimonies. And then look at verse 80. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes that I, that I be not ashamed. So my place, sound and unashamed in this world. Sound and unashamed in this world. Do you, th this is what it comes down to. 
This is it. Do you know what you believe? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know what I believe. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to anyone that asks a reason for the hope that's in you in meekness and fear. You don't know anything until you can tell it to somebody else. So here's the question. Have you been discipled at Grace Baptist Church? If you have not been through our discipleship ministry, you need to sign up. There's a card in the chair in front of you. We're going to have an offering here in a little while. Take that card out. Fill it out, and we will match you up. We have trained disciples ready to teach you how you can teach the Bible to somebody else because you don't really know something until you can tell it to somebody else. That's the heartbeat behind our discipleship ministry. And so, look at, again, look at this text. Uh, my, my prayer, is, I'm sorry, my, my uh, place is sound and unashamed in this world. Let my heart be sound, what does it say? In thy statutes. What are those statutes? Those are those things written in stone that God says, Thus saith the Lord. Am I sound in those? How do I compare to those statutes? Am I sound? And then notice what it says, that I be not ashamed. My place, sound and unashamed in this world. Here's another statement from Spurgeon. This is even more important than to be held in esteem by good men. This is the root of the matter. So what is my prayer? Lord, please help me not to be a hypocrite. See, I might have a good reputation with the world. You might think, boy, pastor, boy, he really believes that stuff. He really believes that stuff. God knows whether or not that's true. God knows whether my, my speech matches my heart. See, I want my heart to be sound in God's statutes. I want, I want my heart's desire, I want my delight to be in God's law, as our text said earlier. See, that's the difference between hypocrisy and integrity. I want to have integrity in my testimony before man. Why? Because that's going to go away. But God knows my heart. God knows what's going on inside. Am I sound in my understanding of God's statutes? And here's the thing that becomes so important. If I'm sound in my understanding of God's statutes, then I will be sound in my understanding of the surrounding society. See, I will be able to judge righteously what's going on. I will know who to vote for. I will know not to place my trust in any political party. I will know to place my trust in God. And yet, I will have discernment as I choose my political affiliations. And I will be a good steward. And I will live faithfully out in the world. And when some soft-headed Christian says, how could you vote for somebody the way that President Trump talks? Because he doesn't chop up babies. Real simple answer. Doesn't chop up babies. Doesn't swim naked in front of his Secret Service agents. Doesn't, like, like Joe Biden, filthy animal. He's a wicked man. He's a wicked man. People try to do some kind of a moral equivalence has has President Trump in his New York Playboy days has he he represented what a what a faithful man should be? Here, people are watching this. Let's make sure they can hear you. Has he? No. 
Do we condone any of that behavior? Do we make any excuses for it at all? But he doesn't chop up babies. As a matter of fact, he cuts off the funding for it. He signed an agreement with 30 other nations saying that, that abortion is not a human right. He got us out of the Paris Climate Accords, which does nothing but destroy the economy. Does nothing for the people who are actually polluting, but stops our economy. He said, nah, <laughs> we're not going to do that. So when people, if I am firm in God's statutes, then I know how to stand sound and unashamed in society. Amen? So now you're going to go to work tomorrow. And you're going to have conversations with people. Are you going to be the happy warrior? Or are you going to be the despondent, complaining, liberals are so mean. I can't believe they're doing this to us. No, we're going to be the ones that go and we say, you know what? Fight's not over. Fight's not over. Amen? And if we lose, we ultimately win. I know it's trite, but I like the statement. I've read the back of the book, and we win. We do. So our hope, we don't put our hope in chariots. We don't put our hope in horses. We put our hope in the Lord God. And he is powerful, isn't he? Amen. So my prayer, Lord, please help me not be a hypocrite. My place with those who know God's testimonies. My place, sound and unashamed in this world. My prayer, God, please give me godly friendships. My prayer, Lord, please help me not to be a hypocrite. How many of you, can we be honest? How many of you know that often in your heart you feel like a hypocrite? Any of you? Yeah, all of us. Here's the deal. None of us will ever live up to our profession. The goal of the Christian life is to get them closer. Amen? Man, I wish I could live everything I preach here. What I'm praying is, over the years, the difference between my profession and my heart gets smaller and smaller until Christ says, come up hither, and the difference is gone. That's our hope. Until then, I want to stand sound and unashamed in this culture. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for grace and mercy and salvation. Lord, please give our nation mercy. Please give our nation help. Lord, help us to be wise in this world.